Hi, my name is Andrew Bolton, and this is the Pros and Content Podcast. I'm the Chief Client Officer here at Notch. And on the Pros and Content Podcast, we'll be featuring a series of truly remarkable content leaders who believe in storytelling and who have different perspectives on the importance of measurement, scalability, and the optimization of content. Our guest on the show today is Alex Moore, the Global Head of Content at Dropbox, where Alex leads editorial efforts and top of funnel content. He brings to life Dropbox's mission through passionate storytelling, especially as those stories pertain to how we think about work and the shape work might take in the future. He talks with us about measurement and tracking perception across his content, creating and developing qualified audiences, and making a memorable impact through content. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Pros and Content Podcast. My name is Andrew Bolton. I'm the host of the podcast, as well as the Chief Client Officer at Notch. And I'm joined today by Alex Moore, who is the Global Head of Content at Dropbox. Welcome to the show, Alex. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. Uh, it's awesome to have you here. Uh, it's first podcast of the uh, the new year. Um, we were just commenting before we started that you know 20, uh, 21 was supposed to be the normalish year, um, but it's not started that way. Um, but you know, such is life. <laughs> it's off. It's off to a bumpy start for sure. But uh, let's stay hopeful. Exactly, and I think that you know one thing that we saw in twenty twenty, and we'll be continuing in twenty twenty one, is the importance of content um, at brands as means to connect and communicate with their customers, their prospects, you know, various audiences. Um, and you and the Dropbox team have been doing a, a pretty fantastic job um, of it, and doing a lot of cool things over the past year. So really excited to kind of dig into this um, and, and get your point of view on things. Where I wanted to start off is just kind of setting the table is uh, organizations set up their content teams um, differently, um, different goals. Would love you to just take us through a little bit about how uh, uh, content is thought of and organized within Dropbox and specifically what you're focused on um, um, uh, at, at the company. Yeah, sure. Um, so at Dropbox, um, you know, content means really a few different things um, according to how we relate to our customers. And obviously, you know, we have over 600 million registered users. Only, that, only, it, only 600 million? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, in, a, in, a, in a very large addressable market. Um, so we have a, a number of different channels and, and, and ways of relating to customers. Um, sort of look at it sort of from the from the funnel, you know, at the very top of the funnel to us, content is synonymous with uh, with storytelling and, and thought leadership to shape perceptions of Dropbox. Obviously, Dropbox is a, a household name. Most people know what Dropbox is, but we are constantly trying to evolve our brand and our product in different directions. So that's the the world that I really specialize in is, is the top of funnel storytelling that shapes perceptions of Dropbox. Um, so specifically, you know, we've got this legacy as a as a consumer brand and we're sort of on this multi-year journey of enabling more of a work context um and we have a specific perspective on how we want to shape work and how we think that work should be uh so telling that story is is really largely what i've been focused on for the past couple of years um and then moving down the funnel across the across the company we have different teams who make more content about specifically product education or customer support. And those are really handled by, by different teams, be it, um, be it product marketing or, or the CX teams, uh, for, for customer support. Uh, my team sits within brand marketing and is really focused on that, that top layer of the, of the funnel, sort of the, the brand storytelling layer. So it's interesting that you started this positioning work 
a couple of years ago, but a lot of what you started, I'm assuming, was accelerated or, or played into the environment um, that you know we experienced. That is that is COVID and it is you know distributed work. Um, talk us through a little bit about how um, over the past year the strategy may have shifted or evolved um, during the pandemic and some of the things that you guys focused on and, and saw success with. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, you know, obviously like everyone else, we had to rethink things and adapt super quickly, uh, in March when this, when the, the pandemic hit and the, the massive shift to remote work happened. Um, you know, for us, you know, part of that urgency is that we have this kind of once in a generation shift to remote work and we have a, a brand and a product that is relevant to that shift. Right. So we want to be we want to be relevant to that and in, in, in the conversation uh, around that shift, but we we really didn't want to be um, to come across opportunistic uh, because it's sort of antithetical to what our what our brand is, mm-hmm. uh, our brand identity, and what we're all about. Um, and it's also a very very crowded conversation, right? So there's like lots of lots of brands having conversations about remote work and 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 best practices for remote work. So it was really important to us to be um, differentiated uh, and to have. A, a conversation that would really be additive. Uh, so we did uh, a couple of things. First, um, rather than focusing just on the challenges of remote work, we sort of had a, a brainstorm session and um, centered in on this this insight that what was happening was actually sort of a different thing. It wasn't a shift to remote work. It's actually more of a, a mass shift to t- fully distributed teams or, mm-hmm. d- or distributed work. Um, and that's really kind of a, a different parad- paradigm with its own nuances, right? So when there's no HQ or, and there's no sort of operational center of gravity, there's nothing to be remote from. Mm-hmm. Um, and this has kind of all kinds of organizational implications for like everything from, you know, setting strategy to, 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 visibility to accountability to the way that you you know develop relation new relationships with peers in the company you name it so r- kind of like remote work is a is a is an individual challenge distributed work is an organizational challenge so it's a, like a little bit of an, a nuance there but we were able to develop an entire content platform for the year around the theme of distributed work that involved a lot of um, uh, expert participation outside thought leaders um, and we were able to develop a lot of content that really felt credible and, and differentiated and, and felt like it was valuable and not just sort of adding, adding more noise. Um, so that was, that was sort of our organizing principle for the year. Um, and the second is that when the, uh, when the pandemic hit, we were actually in the middle. We had just kicked off a research study um, with the Economist Intelligence Unit that we were planning to do on the phenomenon of focus and knowledge work, which is a big part of uh, how Dropbox is trying to to, to shape work, right? It's, it's, it's focus on sort of like the content and the materials at hand, as opposed to in sort of advocating for more focus time there, rather than uh, all of the like the constant distractions from and things from different um, the notifications from different communications and, and coordination yep. apps. Too least. many Slack notifications. Exactly, or God, God knows what. There's so <laughs> so many in the stack, right? Yep. Um, so uh when 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 covid hit we we sort of shifted the scope of this research study uh to to specifically look at how this plays out in a remote work context and and how people were experiencing the shift to remote work how it was impacting their ability to focus and what was what was working for them and and not working for them um and so that the 
it was kind of great that we had this thing in flight and we were able to uh, quickly adapt and, and, yeah. and, sh- and shift the scope of it a little bit. And we got some really interesting insights um, that we ended up publishing in a, in a study with the, with the EIU in, in Q4. Um, and ultimately those insights even helped to inform um, and provide sort of some decision support for the company's permanent remote work policies that mm-hmm. we rolled out in, in Q4, which we're calling uh, virtual first. Uh, and the, the, the kind of the point of virtual first is, is to look to blend the sort of the best of both worlds with both remote work and in office experiences, um, and having those coexist in, in sort of an equal way for, for all employees. Um, so we had, it was, it was a good opportunity for us that we had that, that, that research already in flight and we were able to really take a pretty substantive look at, at the reality of, of distributed work. Yeah, that's great. You were able to utilize an external partner like The Economist to supplement kind of the the thinking that you already had going internally. Um, and were you tapping into The Economist audience as well and publishing it there? Or were you taking that and solely distributing it on, on Dropbox.com um, uh, sites? Yeah, exactly. So it was so it was both. Mm-hmm. Um, we uh, we distributed the content to our own audience and actually created some of our own um, uh, sort of derivative content from that. So we put, we put, we wrote about the study on our side, but then we also used a lot of the uh, the insights from that study uh, to and extrapolated on them to create like standalone editorial own editorial on our side that were based on some of the insights that we found in the study and we distributed those to our audience. Um, but then we also um, did an amplification campaign to leverage the economist audience um, and distribute both the the study as well as some associated assets to to their audience as well. So we, we did a three-part um, podcast series with them mm-hmm. um, that featured uh, experts who were um, advisors in the study. Um, so Cal Newport, who's obviously a really well-respected author on, uh, on work, and um, Gloria Mark, who is uh, a researcher from UC Irvine, uh, as well as um, an author and blogger, Darius Faru. Uh, so they were all, we were really happy to have their participation and, and, and be able to produce a podcast series, um, with them on different facets of the study. And then that, that podcast series was also, um, was also distributed to the, to the economist podcast audience as well. Yeah, that's fantastic that you were able to reach a, a large audience, um, and, and provide value, um, to them and uh, about a subject that is obviously, obviously very pertinent at the time, um, and the fact that your own company took some of those insights and also used it to craft their own remote remote work policy is is, is pretty awesome. Um, yeah. One thing, a question about you know we, we talked to a lot of content leaders that that play in this upper funnel, um, and uh, there, there's so much important work that gets done there because it really is about connecting and growing audiences or connecting with audiences and growing audiences um, in meaningful ways and providing that value. Um, but we have found in some organizations where um, they don't have as much cred within the marketing organization as some of the more like lower funneled, like, you know, more demand gen marketing teams that are also using content, but just wielding it in a different ways. What are some of the things that you look at or some of the metrics that you report back on or some of the anecdotes that you've utilized to kind of build, um, you know, the, the cred of your team within um, the Dropbox marketing ecosystem? Good question. So, uh, not to get sort of too deep in the weeds on the the organizational yeah. structure or whatever, but Overarching, but my yeah. 
Yeah. No state, uh, no so, state secrets, but you know. <laughs> right. Yeah. So our, our brand uh, content editorial is uh, tracking specifically, we have specifically perception mm-hmm. uh, metrics and goals that we're, that we're tracking and, and we actually don't have revenue goals, right? So we've decoupled our perception, our top of funnel and our perception goals uh, for how we're trying to move the needle in terms of brand resonance with sort of performance marketing and uh, revenue goals. Um, now, we one thing that's actually been really interesting for us uh, in working with Notch is that we have we have this ability to track how we are uh, moving the needle on perception with our editorial content, which is great. Um, but then we also have really rich insights on, on, on audiences, right. And, and, and we're learning a lot about our audiences. And then, so we're able to, we're, we're, we're investigating with our marketing team, how we can compare, um, you know, cookie pools and, and, and audience insights in order to, uh, improve efficiency and make the best use of uh, marketing spend further down the funnel based on what we learn uh, at the upper funnel. Um, so that's, that's sort of a, that's sort of a new effort for us. Um, but it's not just actually uh, a, a really interesting lever for us in, in, in bridging that gap. Yeah. And it's something I'm, you know, personally passionate about, which is the value um uh, uh, for you know producing content in the upper funnel for for brands is about building those audiences and i think that the value that's derived from that audience is the data that's captured um and how valuable that data becomes to a marketing organization and how it can be used in other parts of the marketing organization just elevates the the importance and the relevance of content um in you know the org as general whether it be communications or marketing or you know you know kind of two symbiotic um um uh, workflows Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I think one way that we like to think about it is that um, what we're trying to do with our editorial and our own content is to create as qualified an audience as possible mm. to create, to engender the most positive brand associations with Dropbox that we can um, in order to uh, to help create that qualified audience. So if we can be, if we can be really memorable with the content experience, if we can leave somebody with a, with a good taste in their mouth with the, regarding the Dropbox brand, we've done our job really well. And I, ideally that audience should be sort of primed to hear follow on messages from our, from our marketing org. You mentioned the, the kind of the pureness of the, of the content. Um, talk to us a little bit about this idea of storytelling um, within the editorial content that you're creating. And what is your process like for identifying the stories that you want to tell or the people that you might want to collaborate with to reach audiences? Like what are the, some of the, how are you drawing those insights and, and, and how are you guiding that strategy? Yeah, for sure. Um, so for us, you know, what I try to do is, um, you know, I come from a, I have a, I have a media background. Um, and, uh, I, w- I was a, I was a startup founder at one point. I had a, a music and culture website called, called death and taxes in the, in the <laughs> mid, in the mid aughts that we sold to it's a great uh, name. It's a great name. <laughs> that was ended up being, uh, acquired by, uh, spin magazine, the, the company that owns spin magazine, Vibe yep. magazine, ultimately billboard and Hollywood reporter. And, you know, I got to spend time with the, the founder of spin magazine, the people who were around in the early, the early days of, of Vibe magazine. And, um, really uh, for me, I, I developed a passion for those stories that were not just about, um, music, but sort of t- tapped into, 
uh, kind of the zeitgeist and of the time, and we're and we're helping to to shape the culture. So those are the those are the, the that's that's the kind of work that I'm passionate about, and to to that's sort of what I aspire to. To me, if, what I aspire to with the editorial work is that it be is that it really be memorable, mm-hmm. um, and that and that it leave a lasting impression. So to me, the kind of the best way to pursue storytelling is to just be really authentic to the interests of the the storyteller, right? Mm-hmm. So we obviously have like certain constraints. We have a framework. We have a we have a, we have a, a way in which we're trying to make the Dropbox brand resonate and to be and to be relevant to the to the context of of knowledge work. Um, and what I encourage my team to do is to sort of ingest that framework and within the within the kind of the guardrails of that framework to just go out and pursue their curiosity as individuals where it leads and, mm-hmm. to, and to really be as authentic as possible about sending that. reporters into the world as it were. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, I feel like as a as a as a as a storyteller, if you can tell a story that you yourself would read or watch or listen to on the weekend when it wasn't your job, Mm -hmm. uh, then chances are you'll be able to reach an audience who will also find that content engaging and interesting. and if I think that if you can really be honest about that and hold yourself accountable to that standard, it's kind of the best way to make sure that you're creating content that, that like really authentically resonates with an audience. And then what we, what, the way that we use Notch is that we, we validate those hunches, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it's like obviously storytelling and, and, and editorial content is, is, is probably more of an art than a science, right? There's a, it's a lot, it's, it's based on, a lot of hunches and there's a lot of subjectivity there, but what, what notch lets us do is validate that um, and, and, and quantify that at, at a scale. So we make sure that the, the content that we are paying to promote, to reach new audiences is actually having the desired effect that mm-hmm. our, that our hunch told us that it would have. Right. And, to, and, the, and we're wrong about it a lot. Which is part of what's really valuable <laughs> about Notch. Right? I was going to say it's like trust but verify. But if you're wrong a lot, then it's also good to <laughs> make sure you're, you're steering back in the right direction. You know? Yeah. I mean, I should say we're not wrong like a lot. I would I would say actually since we have rolled out Notch, I've been pretty impressed. I've been impressed with our with our batting average overall. Uh, but it is important to see and to learn from uh, instances where where you are wrong. Right. And to be able to, to look at, at why a piece didn't maybe resonate as well as, as others um, and to, to kind of use that to iterate moving forward is, has been super valuable for us. Yeah, one of the, uh, the series that I like the most and I think kind of plays at that uh, authenticity angle um, is The Mind at Work um, that you guys did. Tell us a little bit about kind of the genesis of that and, and how it rolled out, how it manifests itself and, 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 and you know, any results or any, any, any things that you can attribute to, to its success. Yeah, for sure. So that's that's a really good example of of what I was talking about. Um, so the mind at work was um, the 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 series. It's the brainchild of of one um, member of my team who uh, was kind of his interpretation of uh, bringing to life the the Dropbox mission of of uh, of a, a, a different way of working that is more um, about optimizing our our mental focus and uh, and and keeping keeping us away from distractions. So he had an idea for um, how to bring that to life with a with a series called uh, the Mind at Work, 
that would be uh, a series of profiles with experts from diverse fields about um, what we can kind of learn about the the, the forefront of uh, of how the of how the mind actually works in the specific context of, of modern of modern work. So it, it includes uh, profiles and everyone from you know there there are people f- featured from fields as diverse as like neuroscience to business to linguistics to even cooking um and there are all kinds of interesting learnings that you can apply from uh from these different experts uh from different fields uh, and actually apply this to how you think about your own work uh n- no matter what that might be as, l- as long as it's kind of in the the broad category of of knowledge work um so that was something that uh was was super specific to um anthony kosner on my team is the 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 guy who um is behind that series and is really it's it's really informed by his own interest set his curiosity and it's something that probably nobody else would have come up with because it's it's super specific to him Mm -hmm. i think that you can feel that specificity and that authenticity in the content um and that's a series that has that has not only performed really really well in terms of the 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 perception data that we see um, in Notch, but um, has has also really been validated in, in external media as well. So, for instance, one of the one of the people profiled um, in that series is a neuroscientist named Carl Friston, um, and Friston is. Uh, really well-regarded thinker in, in, in AI and, and, and all kinds of fields. He was doing um, some work modeling uh, the, the spread of COVID over the summer and, and sort of doing some like epidemiology modeling. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and he uh, gave an interview to The Guardian, and The Guardian ended up linking to the piece on the Dropbox blog about him because awesome. they were they – were, they were, um, citing a, a specific insight that was published in that piece and so we ended up getting a like a, a, a lot of traffic from the guardian a whole new audience and actually the and we were able to see that the the inbet the, the 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 audience that came from the guardian specifically had a really positive response to that article which we can see in, in the notch data um so being able to have that 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 through line to actually not only see the uh, where the audience is coming from, but see what they thought of it once they got there has has been super super valuable to yeah. us since since we rolled since we rolled out the partnership with you guys. Yeah, and I'm sure that informs you know future content creation themes, perhaps new audiences to go after, new partnerships, um, and, and so on. Exactly. So thinking a little bit about the the future um, then, and looking over you know what does 2021 um, hold for us. What are some of the trends or, or themes that you're betting on or the things that you personally think are going to be on the uptick um, over the next 12 months? Yeah, for sure. Um, so I'll keep this kind of specifically to the world of knowledge work, which is what Dropbox content is kind of largely focused on. Um, it's what I spent a lot of my time thinking about. Um, I think that, you know, for for everyone who's lucky enough to still have a job through the 
pandemic craziness. Um, you know, I think that um, one important trend moving forward, like I think that one of the biggest things that happened over the last year is that orthodoxy got thrown out the window. Mm-hmm. Um, so the kind of the, the staid life of a, of a, of a nine to five job and, and usually an open office plan got like totally dismantled. And the new, you know, obviously the new norm is like people's kids walking through zoom calls and, and, and working from wherever, but there's, there's much more of sort of a, an intimate connection in, in work to what people's actual lives are. Um, and I think that that is going to stay, right? I think that, 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 that sense of connection, uh, and expression of, uh, your real life in the, in the work that you do is going to be a trend that stays even after the, the pandemic, um, subsides and it's, and it's potentially safe uh, to go, to go back to offices. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that'll have all kinds of implications, um, on not only work styles, but like the, the kind of work that people potentially do. Um, the one thing that we have been talking a bit on, um, on our team about is that we think is really interesting is it's kind of emerging phenomenon, um, of the, the passion economy. Mm. which is kind of like the alternate universe version of the gig economy uh, <laughs> where where it's where instead of being you know instead of commoditizing people's time it's based on the unique skills and talents of of the individual um and things that they uniquely can kind of like bring to market on their own mm-hmm. um so that's one thing that we'll be that we'll be watching closely um in 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 the kind of world of work and also probably making a, some content about um in the next year yeah, for sure. I think that you kind of touched on it, but an interesting side effect of remote work um, has been almost like camaraderie and community fellowship, like whatever you want to call it, because you take people out of the normal like office atmosphere, whether, you know, you know, company to company, interpersonal relationships, whatever it may be. Everyone's dealing with something that's so kind of like putting them outside of their comfort zone that there's a level of empathy, I think, between human beings um, that has been more revealed. I think people are more open to exposing themselves in some ways and like how they're actually feeling or how they're actually doing or what they're actually thinking um, over a Zoom call than if like we were sitting down like in a boardroom somewhere talking, you know, um, which is yeah. weird because you think about person to person contact as being sometimes more intimate and people being more open that way. But I think because of just what's going on in the world, um, people are more apt to do it over a Zoom call now, which has been kind of an interesting phenomenon. At least I've, I've observed that. I don't know if you've seen the same. Exactly. Well, and that actually is kind of borne out a bit in our um, in our study with the EIU as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so we so we have some data signal on that. Um, so yeah, people largely say that that there's kind of, and I see this as sort of being um, two sides of a coin. That when people are uh, in a remote work environment. Um, instances of miscommunication are actually higher that people mm. are that people can like miscommunicate and misinterpret things um and i, I imagine that that probably is a, a, attributable to to like email and slack a lot uh, totally. i'm not exactly sure but people do say that largely they feel much more empathy from their coworkers and they feel more empathy toward coworkers uh while working remotely in this in this context so i think that you're you're totally right about that and the thing that that i think is really interesting too is that um, when you mix up, when you kind of shake up the, the way that people think and that, the, and the way that they interact and extrapolate that over a long enough time horizon, ultimately people start to maybe th- think of 
different, they, they think differently and maybe they think of different things, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe they think of new, maybe they think of new product innovations or they think of new stuff to build or maybe different, you know, avenues occur to them that wouldn't have occurred otherwise because your, your brain wiring is just like a little bit sh- shaken up. Um, and to me, I, I, that's something that I think will be, will be interesting to see is like, not only how to, how do things feel differently in the, in the new paradigm that we find ourselves in, but also like, what is the upshot of that? Like, what do we actually build and develop that's different yeah. because of that? Yeah, exactly. Take people out of their comfort zone and, you know, they can, you know, think and, and invent, you know, crazy things that they never would have even, you know, thought of, you know, previously right. because of that. Yeah, exactly. Um, last uh, question and a, and a bit of a forward looking question as well. Um, when you look at the the content leader position um, that you have and, and others in your, in your field, what are the skills that you're looking to acquire over the next 12 to 24 months or the things that you want to personally improve on to make yourself more effective, um, you know, in your role? Hmm. Yeah, that's, um, that's a great question. I mean, I think that, um, I guess I'll answer that by saying, I think that as we move forward, you know, one thing I think is going to be really important for any content leader to keep in mind is that there's just, there's so much content out there right now. And (laughs) the world is just a little, (laughs) this content is so crowded and the world is in a place where, you know, we're having a lot of really important conversations right now. There are a lot of really important conversations playing out in a really crowded space. And that I think it's really important for brands to be really thoughtful and to make sure that they're putting out content that is either like really authentically valuable, uh, sorry, is really authentically interesting mm-hmm. or is really authentically useful and actionable to somebody. Right. So I yeah. think that those are kind of like the two things that you should, that you can try to do with, with, con- with content for, for a brand is to be like really authentically interesting or really authentically helpful. Mm-hmm. Uh, Maybe both. It's kind of hard to do both at the same time. I mean, both of them. But, both of them are about the value exchange, right? And it's, yes, you exactly. know, I, I'm I'm giving you time. Give me back something that I can either find interesting or use in my life. You know, exactly. Right. So both, um, both ramping up the commitment to quality and making sure that the promise is the promise of the headline is really paid off yep. in the content. Um, no clickbait is one thing. Exactly. Um, and then also just like getting be- learning how to get better data and get better at interpreting data mm-hmm. and using the science to inform your in- to inform your art and your storytelling yep. i think is a really important thing you know I'm, uh and i'm you know not just to not to uh to brown nose too much or whatever but you know i think that i think that way that the the notch data for us has been has been uh has been super interesting um and i think it's it's sort of um an emerging trend that you know for a long time uh content marketers and and producers of, of brand editorial were kind of operating in this black box where they didn't really have a lot of direct feedback signal or really any feedback signal on how their content was was moving the needle and, and, and how it was impacting their audiences qualitatively, they were kind of flying blind and you had to just sort of trust your hunch and, and, and then ultimately maybe use, um, like 
downstream conversion data is like a way, way trailing indicator. Yep. But I think that, that there's, um, I think that, that holding your brand content interactions accountable to their own, uh, perception goals mm-hmm. is super, super important, especially given how crowded the content spaces are and, and, and how, um, sensitive those spaces are given the importance of the cultural conversations that are happening right now. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, notch aside, no matter, you know, what, you know, systems a, a brand uses, I think that the thing that I'm always preaching when I'm talking to content teams and, and, and I'm not the only one doing this is that you really can't take a one size fits all approach when it comes to the measurement of content. And I think that that is part of that black box that people were operating in, you know, whether you know, some content teams have remit across the funnel, and they're looking at the same metrics for every stage of that journey. And that just leads you to optimize against the, the wrong things and have results that when you go and present them to senior leadership, they're kind of like, eh, it's, it's okay, but it, there's nothing that compelling here. But when you can really break down the purpose of every content asset, you know, within that customer journey or funnel or cycle or whatever you're calling it, and measure it in a way that's designed specifically for that and have metrics that are repeatable that you can go back to every time and show those improvements over time. That's where, again, the relevance of content takes on a whole new role within these organizations. So um, I like the, 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 the data-driven um, uh, supplement, the data-driven look supplementing what your gut's telling you um, uh, uh, method for, uh, for the future. So Exactly. And I think it's super important to have uh, kind of bespoke metrics and things that you're trying to measure for for content in each part of that that user journey, right? So it's it's really helpful to be able to have uh, a success metric that you're tracking for brand editorial as opposed to something that's more about product education or conversion or yep. whatever else. Totally. Well, Alex, uh, thank you uh, for the time today. Um, really interesting conversation. We, we ca- covered a pretty broad range of topics there, but I think um, ones that all of the uh, listeners will find valuable. Um, where can, uh, I'm sure people can connect with you on LinkedIn. Are you a, a Twitter person as well? or I'm, I'm really mostly a spectator on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Me too, so. <laughs> uh, but yes, I'm on I'm on. I'm on LinkedIn and uh, you can see our work at uh, Dropbox publication is called Work in Progress and it's at blog.dropbox.com. Yep. Awesome. And we'll include some of those links in the uh, in the show notes and whatnot. So thank great. you, Alex. And uh, thanks to everyone who listened in. Have a uh, great rest of your day. Thanks for listening to another episode of Pros and Content. We really hope you enjoyed this conversation with Alex Moore, the global head of content at Dropbox. One point that really resonated with us is Alex's insistence that content should be really authentic to the interests of the storyteller. If you can create something that you yourself would want to read, listen to, or enjoy watching, you can be pretty confident other people will want to consume it too. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe. And if you have any suggestions or feedback, you can find me at ray at notch.com. Visit us at prosandcontent.co to find more amazing content about, well, content. And tune in next time.